This is my journey The road ahead The road behind My journey Who knows what I'll find Finding Herself Sharing the Journey With music by Trudy Rushen and technical support by Wayne van der Berg. This episode has been kindly sponsored by Cape Midwife Natural Birth. Believe in yourself. That lovely voice you just heard that provides the introduction to this woman's own Finding Herself series is that of Trudy Rushen, singer, songwriter, philanthropist, teacher, feminist. The daughter of Eon Group opera singer May Abrams never set out to follow in her mother's footsteps. But as relationships, children, and basically life happened, she learned to love the process and became more confident in her own musical abilities. I am Teresa Smith of Woman's Own, and I asked Trudy, what is the difference between how she defines who she is and what she does? There's definitely a difference because I think who you are is always true. It's true for all time. But what you do is circumstantial or it can be related to a job you have at a particular time. So um, how I define who I am, I would say I'm a South African woman, a feminist, a mother, a musician, a writer, an educator and a communicator. And if I were to place myself anywhere politically, I would say I'm a socialist. What I do, as I said, that that's often linked to one's job. Yeah, so that changes. So who I am is, is sort of like the foundation of everything that I do, you know? What did you hope or plan to be when people first started asking you that, that question, you know, like what you're going to be when you grow up? My mother says that when I was a little child and they asked me that, I would say I wanted to be a mother or a mommy and a teacher. And I suppose you could say I have achieved my goal, <laughs> goals. You know, I actually, I've been looking through, you know, thinking about these things and so on. I don't think I'm ambitious in the normal use of the word. It's partly my personality, mainly my personality, and partly circumstantial. Having said as much, I definitely am a goal setter. I set goals, but I think I'm one of those people who love the process as much as I love achieving the goal. so But I'm not ambitious in a way where I can say, I plotted my career. It was more like I was open to what life sent my way. But you, you had this idea of becoming a teacher, which I know you did end up doing. But you never mm. ever set the goal for yourself, I'm going to be a musician like my mother. And yet you are a musician now. Yeah, that, that is one of the ways in which that like being open to what life sent my way manifested. When I look back now, music has been my parallel career no matter what I've done. You know, it, the music has always been there. And I've tended to not see myself as a musician because people define you according to your day job. But that's been the constant, you know. How did that journey, that musical journey, how did that actually start? Well, when I was six years old, apparently I loved singing then already because my teacher made me stand on a table and sing for the school inspectress. I was at Laar School Heidefeld for the first uh, six months of my primary school life. And the song was, Ek doen dit al vir Jesus. 
singing at age six, standing on the table for this teacher who wanted to show you off to the inspectors and then singing in Afrikaans, which was not my mother tongue. Uh, it must have been cute, but I think I was terrified. You know, as children, we took piano lessons like most uh, people, you know, from our community did. But in my teens, I started playing the guitar and that started the real journey for me. Yeah, the guitar is my instrument of choice and that's been my, like my baby all these years. So who or what has stood in your way on this journey? You know, I'm hesitant to blame anybody. I would say the things that hold me back typically are linked to my socialization. So I would say it's myself, it's all inside of me. Where we weren't raised to shine, as weird as that sounds, even though your parents always wanted the best for you, you sort of got the idea that other people excelled and you did what you had to do. And there was a bit of a hold yourself plot, you know, hold for your plot in the socialization. And, and I'm not saying this to blame, you know, parents. Parents do the best that they can. Those messages, man, of like, who do you think you are, you know? which was completely different to how my mother lived her life, you know, as this opera singer on stage. So who stood in my way? I would say a lot of those messages of be a good girl, follow the rules, do the right thing, made me focus so much on being compliant. Yeah, I, I often didn't see the bigger picture that other people may have seen. And I, um, I would say I plodded along. And I also think things that stood in my way along the same lines, like my socialization, made me blind to the darker side of life. So I was often quite unsuspecting when weird people came into my life. Uh, I wasn't prepared for people who were not like nice and wanting the best for everyone else, you know? I have to wonder, though, how much of that is broader society and, and that kind of, you know, how our world works and how much of that is, is family because we are related. So I know that part of that is how our family actually works. We have these people who are talented and amazing and yet the general feeling and, and way of behaving in the family is to sort of like, you know, hold yourself in. This thing of, of yeah. shining and, and trying to overshine someone is like, no, that's rude. And and in fact, the, the converse ends up happening and I think and I don't know if it's because you and I are both Virgo, but I find that a lot of what I do in my life is provide a platform for others to shine. And somehow that brings me joy, enabling people to reach their potential. Well, um, that explains why there's so many teachers in our Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And really, it's, it is a calling and it is something that whether you are in a classroom or not, that ability or that love for showing people the way, showing them how to maximize what's inside of them. I think it's, it's a gift and it's a calling. You know, you, you can't run away from it. You can't switch it off. So then conversely, um, who opened doors for you? What opened those doors for you? So there's a, three, a theme or a thread throughout all of this, which is I often don't see, and maybe it's, it's again a universal thing, and maybe it's very much a woman thing. I often don't see what other people see in me. And you know that when you asked me about the interview, my first thought was like, what? Like, you know, maybe I should recommend somebody else. But it's always that kind of, 
we don't see it. You know, we don't see ourselves the way others do. So who or what opened doors for me? It was always someone else giving me an opportunity. When I taught at primary school, I was given an opportunity to become head of department. I would never have gone for that because I didn't see myself in that way. When I moved out of teaching in the state system, I taught TEFL, teaching English as a foreign language. The the owner of one of the schools I taught at gave me so many opportunities, you know, so that I could go up in the ranks and move into management. And they spotted leadership qualities in me, which I just took for granted. You know, you always think everyone is like capable in the way that you are, but more so. And then I would say musically, definitely the musicians I've worked with. Yeah, the first person I worked with professionally in music was Eddie Peterson. He now lives abroad in Australia, I think, or New Zealand. We worked together for, I don't know if it was two years, but that was the first time I actually played on a regular basis with someone, went to rehearsals, etc., and we got gigs where we got paid and were hired for a long stint at different places. And that was fun. It was new. It was interesting. And at that stage, I wasn't playing my guitar at the gigs. I was the vocalist. So I was the, you know how these typical band things are where the men play the instruments and the woman stands in front and sings. At that stage, I was, I fitted into that category. And then later on, I I took a break um, from gigging when I got married. And when I came back into performing, I decided that I needed to do it on my own terms. I think I'd grown up a bit. And when I came back into performing, I wanted to be part of a duo. And I formed a a duo with Keith Tabisher, a friend of mine from high school. And that was in 2003. And we still played together. We still worked together. And Keith comes from a classical music background as well as jazz. And he is extremely versatile. He's an educator. He's a youth developer in his community. I've learned so much from him. I love making music with him. And and we hope that's going to carry on for a long time. A few years later, I met another guitarist who made a big impression on me, and that was Wayne Bosch. But um, Eddie, Keith Tavisher, Wayne Bosch. Yeah, those are three of the main people who opened doors for me musically, and I will talk about others later. I was going to ask you this question about (laughs) would you give a shout-out to anyone who has helped you along the way, so let's talk about that. Okay, so I would definitely say the biggest influence in my life was my mother. She is now 90 years old and has Alzheimer's, so our relationship has changed because she doesn't communicate like she used to, etc., but... Watching her when I was growing up, she, at home, she was just mommy. And she wore, like, haze clearer and cleaned the floors herself and cooked and did everything. But when she went on stage, she transformed, you know, she dressed and she wore jewellery. And and I, I remember always being blown away by her singing, whether it was in a community concert or in an opera. But she was always this, like, unbelievable goddess And then at home, she was mommy, warm, loving, nurturing. Yeah, you know, just such a strange uh, combination. And yet I think that ended up paving the way for sort of how I live my life. Not that I'm a goddess. (laughs) Yeah, I hope I'm raising one. Yeah. Yeah, I have one sibling 
and that's my sister Wendy, and and she's always had my back. So shout out to her. I have family members, cousins who are fairly close, and we at different stages of my life we lived with different family members. So my mother, my sister, and I we lived at different um, with family. And then in the music part of my world, Eddie Peterson, Keith Tabisha, Wayne Bosch, the late Errol Dyers, I met him only in 2011. But in the short time that I knew him until his death, he made a huge impact on me. I loved the fact that he, he seemed devoid of ego in terms of I am the great Errol Dyers. He was very humble and it showed in how he made space for me when we made music together. And I just liked him a lot, his value system, his no-nonsense approach. He refused to play cover versions. And I regret to say that at one, at one gig, I mean, I got him to play a wedding with me where we did cover versions. But, you know, it was a job. And at different stages of musicians' lives, they, they do that kind of thing. But in general, he didn't like playing cover versions. He liked playing either his originals or the originals of the person he was playing with. So he, he liked my songs. Or he wanted to play South African music. And then more recently, a musician I've worked with is Rudy Burns. He's more than 10 years my senior, also a guitarist, beautiful musician. And I, I really, I'm very lucky to have these accomplished musicians who are happy to play my music and play along with me, you know. Um, and then three people I want to mention who are in the music world, but not musicians, who've really made a difference to me. Two of them are Chantal Erfurt and her husband, Andre Manuel, who have Dala Flat music. And in 2004, they came to a gig where Keith and I were playing and Chantal heard some of my originals and gave me an opportunity to perform my originals to a poetry audience. At that time, she was organizing monthly poetry um, nights at this restaurant in Adley Street called Off Morocco which is no longer there. And that was the first time I, I played in that kind of setting where people were just sitting in a fairly intimate space and I think for 30 minutes I just played my original songs. And it, it really felt like bearing my soul and it felt like such a, it was such a difficult thing for me for, for many reasons. I, I just want to take a step back. I had been married for six years, and even though I married a musician, it was not a harmonious uh, marriage most of the time. And one of the, the, the things he said to me that informed me for a while until I broke free of that was, don't sing your songs in public, they are too personal. And the first night that I played at Chantal's poetry evening when I sang my, my originals, only originals, just myself, nobody else playing with me, at the end of that um, set, women came up to me and said, you've sung my story. You've put into words, into songs, what I could never turn into a piece of art, but you've sung my story. And that, that was a big, big change in my life. And another interesting part about the Chantal-Andre um, dynamic is that I taught Chantal when she was in sub A. <laughs> So that was amazing that someone on whose life I had impacted when she was so young then impacted on mine all those years later. 
And then another person who has done a lot for me musically is Lisbeth Foslu. She is a documentary filmmaker, and I met her when she was filming my mom for a documentary documentary on the Owen Group. And she then came to one of my gigs and filmed me, and then it turned into filming two videos that are now on uh, YouTube. So Lisbeth has done a whole lot for me, and um, yeah, and we continue to be in each other's lives, all, all these people. So it's... Uh, and there are many others I just, you know, there are so many people who impact on one and um, in small and big ways. And we really are who we are because of other people, what they bring out in us and what they see in us. Oh, and then lastly, how can I forget? I want to do a shout out to my children. <laughs> my son, Nick, is 25 and my daughter, Summer, is 21. And they really know and understand me better than anybody else. And they are so supportive. Yeah, they just, uh, I'm really in a very, very good space with my children. And it's wonderful to see how they have internalized some of the messages that I've tried to live my life with, you know, like authenticity and speaking your truth, etc. So big shout out to them as well. So if I think about, what I remember you were like, like 20, 30 years ago and like how I know you now, it does feel to me like you're so much more sure of yourself. And this particular podcast series is called Finding Herself and it is kind of partly mm-hmm. why I thought you'd, you'd be really good at it because for me, it, it does feel like you have found and are quite comfortable and happy with who you are. That's the rare thing. People don't always get that, right? <laughs> or recognize that about themselves. Yeah. There, are, there are so many things I could say about that, but I think, you know, when I work, I work with younger people and um, I can see how they still have to experience more things in order to arrive at the conclusions I've arrived at. But the important thing is that you actually experience the things because I can give a talk to college students, which I sometimes do, but it's the adults there, it's the, the lecturers who are sitting there nodding and like, yeah, you know, it makes sense to them. But it's like the youngsters still have to live through some of the things that I struggled with in order to arrive at their own conclusions about what does and doesn't work for them. One of the mottos I have in life is that we write our life stories by the things we say yes and no to. And I wouldn't have known that when I was 20. I know it now that I'm 59. <laughs> Just going back to what you were saying about um, Summer and Nick, um, what, what's the lesson that you would like to pass on that if there's one thing they got to just remember, that's the thing you, better, you hope they remember? I have a long list of those things. <laughs> <laughs> if I say one of the things, it's going to sound out of context. But I, I think, you know, stay open. First of all, know who you are. And the other side of the coin, coin is know who you are not. And then... Remain open to what life sends your way. I have a long list. I can tell you all my others. <laughs> that was the first thing that kind of came to mind for you. So I, I guess that's a really important point to you then. Yeah. Because, you know, for, for example, like when they were teenagers and, and now they go to parties or whatever, it's so scary as a parent to think of what they're going to be exposed to. You want your children even then to know that they don't have to do what everyone else says is cool. But you can tell them that 
but only when they're in the situation will they actually figure out how much they do want to experiment and how much they actually feel, no, doesn't make any difference to me. You know, so there's a lot of trust that goes with that and a lot of stepping back and hoping it's going to turn out okay. But even then I was saying to them, know who you are. Know what interests you and what doesn't. If you've never wanted to smoke, don't try it. Or try it and then, you know, you'll see that it's actually not for you. Yeah, so that kind of thing. Do you have any regrets about how you live your life, about how you've done things? Um, I actually do. And there's obviously a long list, but I'm just going to say one broad one, which is it just this is my adult life, right? Not my childhood. I've spent so much time in survival mode that I didn't prioritize financial planning like other people did for my retirement. So for me, that is that is a regret, partly because I've been so open to what life has sent my way that I've made so many changes. And, and seriously, a lot of it was about getting through the present, you know, dealing with whatever. But as I said, we, we write our stories by what we say yes and no to. And you just have to, what's the word, not limit yourself, even in terms of age and on what, what lies ahead. So, yeah, I would just say I wish I had been more, again, I wish I'd had an older and wiser person who had that kind of knowledge or that kind of perspective. Because I come from a working class background like most of us and um, our parents may not necessarily, my parents didn't finish high school. Um, They went into jobs to earn money, you know, and I think they were very much in survival mode a lot of the time. But yeah, I, that is one regret I have. But even then, you know, I, I never give up. So I'm still working on that. <laughs> the other side of it is like, what are you really proud of? Okay, so here's my list. <laughs> I'm proud that I, I now do not accept abuse in any form from anyone. And that, I think, has been a big part of my journey. Typical naive person getting involved with very different types of personalities that don't always put you first and putting up with things for a long time because you don't even know that that's emotional abuse. So I don't accept abuse from anyone. And I'm a lot clearer about boundaries. I'm a lot clearer about if I don't want something or someone in my life anymore. The earth is not going to stop rotating if I put that boundary in place. Life goes on, you know. I can say that I've learned that I'm proud of the fact that no matter how hard something is to talk about, if I spend enough time thinking about it and planning and tapping into good energy, I will find the right words at the right time. I've learned to like myself. And I think as a woman, that's a big thing to say because society keeps telling us you need to be a little more this, a little less that, stop being so loud, stop talking so much. Um, why aren't you in a relationship, etc. So I like myself now and I don't feel the need to prove myself to anybody. I've learned to trust my instincts and my judgment and I get very frustrated when other people underestimate me because I know that I have a good track record of good instincts now in the latter part of my life. Yeah, I think I've learned better boundaries. I've learned that honoring yourself is not arrogant or selfish, you know, and 
I think I was raised with a bit of a martyr mentality. We always joke, my kids and I, about who inherited the martyr gene. And um, I think I've had to chip away at that because martyrdom doesn't (laughs) suit anybody. It doesn't work for anyone. And I like the fact that I'm open to life and that I can't tell you now what I'll be doing next year this time in, in different parts of my life because life might send me something amazing that I would go for. And I like that. Just to bring us back full circle again, I know it's a bit weird to ask you this, but like, are you what you hoped to be? I, in answering that, I'd like to share a little incident with you. Uh, when I was married, I think it was, I got married in 94 and in 97, towards the end of the year, I recorded my first little demo of four original songs. And the first time that my one of my songs was played on radio, I had been told by the, the presenter that he would play. That was Eric Allen, who also opened doors for me. And, and I was waiting for the song to be played. And when it played, I was like jumping out of my skin with excitement, jumping up and down and like, yeah, you know. And my husband, who's now my ex-husband, stood there with his arms folded and said, don't think you've arrived. And two things. Obviously, I felt devastated at the response. But the irony was, I never think I've arrived. And so am I what I hoped to be? I feel like I'm still becoming, you know, that that life is still unfolding and there's no end point while we're still alive, you know. And even after that, I think whatever seeds you've planted live on, you know, in people and so on. So am I what I hope to be? I'm free. I wasn't always free. I was in oppressive relationships more than once. I'm independent. I like that. And I'm not limited by other people's insecurities. So I think I hoped to be that when I was not that. But in terms of, like, as I said, being ambitious career-wise and so on, I believe I want to always be making a difference in the world and that will inform everything that I do. But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't actually know how to answer that beyond what I've said. You know, are you what you hoped to be? I hoped to be respectful of people, to treat them uh, with dignity, regardless of what their jobs are, where they live, etc. And that, again, I think comes back to how we were raised, which is everybody's equal. So, yeah, in a sense, I am what I hope to be. This is my journey. Who knows what I'll find?